Welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. So we all probably know him best as Tig Traeger from Sons of Anarchy, but between Officer Down, Bad Blood, and Netflix's awesome, gritty, western epic, Godless, Kim Coates is becoming more and more of a household name. And honestly, I couldn't be happier to be seeing so much more of him. Often playing edgy characters that live on the fringe of society, Kim Coates has appeared in numerous huge movies, including Waterworld, Innocent Blood, The Client, Bad Boys, Battlefield Earth, Pearl Harbor, Black Hawk Down, Silent Hill, Resident Evil Afterlife, and the TV adaptations of Total Recall and Poltergeist. Today, he's working on Cold Brook, which is an indie drama directed by actor William Fickner. So... We got to sit down and talk to Kim Coates, and it was a whole bunch of fun. He's a super cool guy. He's Canadian, so he's extra, extra nice, but also so down to earth, but so impressively knowledgeable, and somebody who is really, really passionate about what he does. You can hear it as he talks about acting and his acting process, and a lot of really cool, fun, and exciting things are happening Kim's life right now. He recently returned to the stage in a production of Jerusalem in Canada, and he actually starred alongside his daughter. And this was his first time on the stage in decades. And throughout the course of this interview, we talk about his acting process and we specifically get into what draws him back to the stage. There's a lot of actors in Hollywood who constantly return to the stage in favor of doing movies because there's something the stage gives them that the screen simply does not. Kim Coates is like this as well, and uh, we talk about it. We talk about a lot of cool stuff, and I really enjoyed Medium because I'm a huge Sons of Anarchy fan and really loved his work on that show. So anyway, please give it up for the awesome Kim Coates. Yeah, there you are. Record. Fuck yeah. All right. Can you hear me? Perfectly, Nick. All right. Kim Coates, it's great to see you. Nick, it's great to be seen, and you're almost as good looking as me. That's the best compliment I've gotten all day. <laughs> so thank you for that, sir. So you've been uh, you've been a pretty busy guy lately, but one of the really interesting things is that you recently returned to stage acting for the first time after 30 years yeah. with your daughter. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's a pretty incredible time, uh, Nick, because Sons of Anarchy, as you know, ended in 2014. It was seven years of uh, electric motorcycle riding, writing, acting, producing millions of fans around the world. We can't go anywhere now without being recognized the, 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 the leads on that show, and uh, I'll never forget it. That said, it was time to uh, get back to movies full-time, and so that's what I did, and that's what I've been doing. did a couple of miniseries. Along the way, one one was called Godless. Big fan, by the way. Thank you. Great part for me. I'm so proud of all, all the actors in that. You and felt very well-placed in a Western. There was something about, I saw you in it. I didn't know you were in it. I'm watching, that's Kim Coates. You just seem like you blended so perfectly in a, in a Western. Thanks, yeah. It was it was pretty impressive uh, to be a part of that. And it was a monster shoot, Netflix, you know, yeah. $120 million they spent on that thing. And to, to get 12 nominations like that. Uh, they open it. Thank you. They open it last last fall uh, on Netflix to massive ratings, massive reviews, and to be a part of that was something so special for me. So that's Monday night. But getting back to Jerusalem, so it was time for me to go back to the stage after Sons of Anarchy, and so I told all my people start looking for the play, mm -hmm. a play. I, I, that's where I, my it all started for me. 
I was the youngest Macbeth ever at Stratford in Ontario, right. 1986, before you were born, Nick. And uh, I was 26 at the time and went right to Broadway, Streetcar Named Desire on Broadway, took over for Aiden Quinn, Dracula in Atlanta Whoa. at the Alliance Theater. Is there footage of you with Stanley Kowalski anywhere? There is no footage unless you go to the archives and you're a big shot, which you look like you might be, Nick. Thanks, and I'll take it. you said, I want to see Kim Coates' <laughs> performance of Stanley. It, it's there to be viewed. Um, Dracula, I averaged between five and ten phone numbers a night for sure. Well done. Uh, thank you. Uh, that was pretty crazy. Um, Les Liaisons Dangereux in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, all my college years early anyway, it was time to go back to the stage. Mm. And uh, Jerusalem was thrown at me and I said no right away. I read it. It was it was too crazy for me. I didn't understand the dialogue really. It's uh, from Pusey in uh, about an hour west of London. Uh, Sir Mark Ryland starred in it. Mm -hmm. He did it 420 times, won the Laurence Olivier Award. He won the Tony uh, for Best Actor. Uh, I read it a second time and then I gave it to my daughter Brenna who uh, just won an Obie and a Drama Desk Award off-Broadway for a play called The Wolves. They took it to the Lincoln Center. She did that for a year and a half. This kid's uh, well on her way. Anyway, she said, Dad, if you don't do this play, it'll be the biggest mistake you ever made. So I read it a third time and fell in love with it. And I, I prepared for about seven months. I went to London four times mm -hmm. and studied with Claire Davidson, vocal work, who directed Mark Rylance. I met Danny Crane, who played Davy in the production. Went to Pusey, met all the crazies there. 11, 11 of them took a bird from London all the way to Toronto to see my performance. Wow. You couldn't get tickets. It was completely sold out. We uh, got very fortunate. We won all the awards. We won. We were seven for seven. Best actor, best ensemble, best play, best director, the That's whole amazing. deal in Toronto. So did that uh, right up until the end of March this year. Uh, I had about 10 days off, Nick. And then I went uh, straight on to Bad Blood 2, which is my newest uh, miniseries slash series. Uh, based on the true story of Vito Rizzuto, the biggest mobster in Canadian history, for sure, if not even the world at, at, a, at a time in Montreal. First season starred Anthony LaPaglia as Vito. I'm his right-hand man, Declan Gardner. Paul Servino came. Enrico Calantoni, some incredible Canadian actors. We got nominated for five of the Canadian Oscars for the series last year. We shot a second season. I just wrapped the beginning of August. I told my people... This whole th I'm, just, I'm talking a long time here, Nick, but your question was, you've been busy. I, I told my people in the month of August, unless it's Nick or, 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 or Scorsese, you will not call me in August or you're fired. And you didn't call Nick and Scorsese didn't call. So I took five weeks off and vacationed, which I haven't done in over a year. So I feel very fortunate to see you, meet you, be here, meet the fans, and it's kind of cool. Very cool. Thanks. Is there something that you get from the stage as an actor that you don't get from the screen? Because there's a lot of stars that go and do big, long stretches on Broadway, like Pacino goes and does. For sure. Shakespeare for a while. Scarlett Johansson's always on Broadway. Is there something sure. that the stage gives you that the this, this screen just doesn't? I, I'd forgotten. That's such a great question. I'd forgotten what it had done and has and will do to me, an actor of my, of my you know my generation who everything started on stage for me. Everything was about the stage. Uh, Twenty seven years is a long time, so you can't go a cut. Uh, right. Let's do that. Hang on. Wait a minute. Cut. No, there's none of that. It's three hours and ten minutes talking like this. I hope I can tell you like that. Sticking my chest out like that. I had a peg leg. Chris, <laughs> you, Chris, you saw it. You were there. My buddy Chris Carbaugh over there. He saw it. It was packed. You couldn't get a ticket. Uh, it scared the shit out of me, flat out. 
But once you start that train, and it's a half hour to call, 10 minutes to call, it's, uh, I met Sir Mark Rylands for dinner in New York uh, before I started rehearsal, and he looked at me and said, you're, you're going to be fantastic. And for him to pass the baton to me meant a lot because people don't do that play. It's too mm -hmm. tough. There's not a lot of roosters out there. I right. played a guy called Rooster Byron. Um, anyway, uh, sure, it's different because it's live and it's vocal and it's real and it's in continuity, which is kind of cool. Right. You mentioned Streetcar. I mean, if you think about films and TV, you shoot all over the map. Maybe the last scene first, maybe the middle second. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you have to know where you're going, where you're coming from. And I, and I enjoy that process as well. But a stage is, is like from beginning to end. And every night that we, we finished, I had a nice big scotch. And uh, nice. thanks, my lucky stars, that I didn't die on stage. It was just so <laughs> brutally difficult, but I'm so glad I said yes to it. Right. But that real-time momentum, I think, really can add to, to an Do you go to theater? Process. Are you able I to do. watch? Oh, yeah. good for you. I'm from New York. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm a big, uh, big so you know. fan, studied it. So yeah, Good. definitely definitely drank that Kool-Aid a while ago. Yeah. As far as acting, you've had a career that spanned a long time. You've worked with a lot of incredible directors. Is there any advice that you have for current actors as far as navigating Hollywood? Fuck yeah, I do. And I say it all the time. Don't be in a rush to move. Don't be in a panic to go to New York, to go to LA, to go to Toronto from Thunder Bay. Take a breath, meet people your own age. Uh, these kids now, we have your iPhone sitting right there, right, right in front of me. Like you can write little movies, you can tape yourself, you can film yourself, you can take improv classes, you can get involved in theater. You, I, I think one of the biggest mistakes these kids make is gotta go to New York, got, gotta right. go to LA. Um, unless you have nepotism or a massive amount of talent and luck, uh, and beauty, um, you're you're going to get buried for years. And I I always love when I hear Seattle's theater scene is amazing. Chicago, um, there's there's regional theater everywhere. And if you are serious about acting, you've got to take classes. You've got to take classes. You can't just go to LA. You can't just go to New York. You can't just go to Toronto and be a bartender and think you're going to be an actor. It's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Mm -hmm. So why don't you stay? in Edmonton for a while. And why don't you stay and meet people and take classes and bartend there. And then you won't be, you'll, you'll be a, a big fish in a little pond rather than rushing to get to these places. Because the one thing that I had was, I was naive, man. I, I always believed in my talent. I always believed in doing what I was wanting and going to do, but I never rushed anything. Mm. I finished college. I, I did 25 plays in college. I had to go to either Toronto or Vancouver. I chose Toronto. Got lucky with a big agent because I had people who knew my work from Saskatoon. I got a big agent, which helps, right? Mm -hmm. And but I, I and then my agent said, okay, so we're gonna get you into film right away. You're a tough guy. I went, well, actually, no, we're not. I need to do more theater. I need to do more theater. So I went to Thunder Bay, I went to Edmonton, went to Halifax. I did 12 plays in Halifax. Then I get invited to Stratford. Mm. Then New York people see my work and say, you've got to come to New York. I didn't have a green card. I'm not an American citizen back then. I had to pay for my lawyer, my O-1 visa. But I was, I was innocent in the most beautiful way early in my career. And that's what I tell young people. Don't be in a rush. Become good. And then the bigger places will be there for you when you're ready. Mm. That makes a whole world of sense. 
Cool. Are you as far as acting and technique? Are you a method actor? Do you have a specific? Uh... Wow. See now. See. Listen. Stop asking such great questions, Nick. Because honestly, these young kids who think they know what method acting is, they don't have a fucking clue. They don't have a clue. They don't know. They don't know what they're talking about. They read about it. You hear that word. You hear about the De Niro's early and. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you just, you know, Stella Adler back in the day with Brando and method and method and method. Look, I'm an internal actor. There's no question. If I'm about to play an Italian and I have, which I do now, I have some money in the bank, I might buy some Italian duds. I might go hang out in an espresso place. I might watch some men watching soccer. I might soak it all up. If mm-hmm. you want to call that method, sure, then, then that's what I am. But am I going to cut myself with a, an ax on the finger because I'm about to do a scene that might have to do with maybe a finger being cut? No. Am I going to take my teeth out because my, my character has no? No. I, that's why they call it acting. It's acting. But... I'm the real deal. Like I, I, acting is listening. It is listening. If you become a good listener, you've got a shot. If you, I mean, the camera, as you know, Nick, picks up everything. There's no acting allowed. However, you've got to be in it. You can't be afraid to fail. You can't be afraid to fail. Waterworld, good example, right? I'm a young actor. I got my green card on Waterworld. I'd done three or four Hollywood movies before then. And Waterworld is one of those completely made up improv situations with Kevin Reynolds, the director, and Kevin Costner, my good friend, who starred in that picture. Mm-hmm. And I definitely was not afraid to fail. I was so over the top. I was so crazy, man. Uh, homeless person on the water, made an accent of, of you know what I mean? Like Welsh, Irish sort of accent. And that. That's what I tell people. You, you, you can't be afraid to fail. That doesn't mean you can't act, but the camera picks up everything. Mm-hmm. So you need to learn, like Coppola said, you need to learn the lines so well that you can forget them. Like right now, mm-hmm. Nick, you and me, we don't know what we're going to say. Right. We don't know what we're going to say. And some of the great, great, great writers, like Scott Frank, for example, Godless, mm-hmm. Monday Night, Emmys, right? His stuff is so seamless. His writing yeah. is so seamless so did we all try and stick to the script? You bet. Because it was an easy, easy thing to do when it's so well written. Mm. But did that mean I didn't ad lib? No. I still, Scott encouraged uh, an ad lib situation in that Western world if it felt comfortable. Right. And he cuts around it. And, and so, yeah, for me, method, it gets uh, misused a lot. Um, I just want people to be in it and listen and create a character with the director, with themselves. Do I wear glasses? How do I walk? How do I feel about things? Mm -hmm. And then let it all go. Right. Speaking of creating characters, as far as the fanaticism of Sons of Anarchy, years later, it's still biblical for so many people. Personally, I've I've rewatched the entire thing three times. Sorry sorry to hear that. I've never done that with any other show. Get a life for fuck's sake, please. (laughs) But I was wondering. No, that's very sweet of you to say that. It's true, though. It's absolutely true. But what kept me returning to it was the characters. I felt like I I wanted it to stay in touch with these characters. I wanted to be a part of this world. And for me, the whole show was was the characters. Cool. So I'm really curious as to how were you able to craft the character of Tig? How much of it was Kurt Sutter? How much of it was you? How did you approach the character? I, I think 
Kurt Sutter will agree with me on this. I, I know for a fact that Kurt, because we had to reshoot the pilot, you know the story, mm -hmm. most people do, they had to change their clay with Ron Perlman. Um, they didn't have Tig Traeger. Um, there was a different uh, Sons of Anarchy, uh, um, Sergeant at Arms. It didn't right. work, it didn't work out. It, it was all it was all just you know figuring their way along. So when he cast me as Tig and I said yes, I would do this. I came with short hair. I was told you know we started filming the next day. We had to organize my contract really quickly. It was just such a fast paced. I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know these bikers. It certainly wasn't my look. Mm -hmm. But there was a scene, not in the pilot, but the next first show after the pilot, where I actually had a scene mm -hmm. with Ron Perlman. And we were talking about these, uh, these unfortunate gals who were, uh, they, were, they died in a fire in the warehouse. Right. And Tig might have had something to do with it, or he was making love to a few of them, whatever. The, we don't have to talk about that, the specifics. But the humor and the darkness but the love that Tig had in a weird, twisted way, that was the beginning. Ron Perlman says it in interviews. He said that was the beginning of Tig Traeger. That's mm. Kim Coates in that scene. I'd already had like 12 days to start thinking about my growth of my hair and my goatee, uh, blah, blah, blah. So that was the beginning of Tig. And I mm -hmm. think for 92 shows, I was only not in one show, one show. Um, I was in 91 of the 92. And I think Kurt enjoyed figuring tig out through me hmm. and i enjoyed figuring out what to do with the beautiful shit that he wrote for tig right i think um i'm not far off on this kurt couldn't write for everyone all the time it's, it's too hard mm -hmm. charlie katie and ron were the three leads then there was maybe maggie me ryan tommy and booney then theo and answer and a few others william lucking early anyway you know, we couldn't write for us all, but we all had storylines, like real, and and Tig's storylines, if you think about those seven years, and I haven't really processed it yet even now, I will someday, from his incredible psychotic toughness to this funny, caring guy to the moral compass of the club by the last season with Tommy Flanagan's beautiful chips, that's true, that's what happened. And the drama and my daughter being burned in front of me in that pit and I'm chained up. Uh, you know, Tig, I'm just, you know, so lucky to have been given such beautiful stuff to try and figure out and act and immerse myself in it. And um, I found his laugh. I found <laughs> Tig's sense of humor, toughness, loyal. You want to talk about a loyal dog. Tig was a loyal dog. And when Clay starts beating up on people and slapping Gemma around, I ripped my, my, my sergeant at arms uh, right off my chest, ripped it right off. That patch was gone. I wanted nothing to do with him. Charlie turning me in, in in the fifth season into, I think, Pope, spit on him. And then I found out that it was all a ploy and, and Jack's had a plan. And so now I got to cry on his shoulder. Like it was a very emotional time for Tig. And, um, I think it was a bit of Kurt and a bit of me. Yeah. What do you attribute to the popularity and the not just the popularity of Sons of Anarchy, but the fact that it endures so much? People still rewatch it. People still it's like a religion to some people. Yeah, it's just that it has a magic to it. It it did. It's 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 magic in a bottle. Nick, I've been saying this for 
it's magic in a bottle and we were just really lucky mm-hmm. really well cast really well directed music sutter's incredible brilliant crazy fucked up mind just when you think it's gonna be about the russians it's about the chambermaids you think <laughs> oh wait so that that chick got killed that means well no now we're gonna sell cotton candy i, I mean his mind was so his cliffhangers were amazing right yeah. sutter's cliffhangers at the end of each show for the next one you didn't know you thought you did but you didn't have a fucking clue mm-hmm. and so i i think it was a combination of a lot of things it's the whole hamlet shakespearean theme of the mm-hmm. whole show mixed in with the biker one percenters that's never been done before right. I, th- I think you know like game of thrones breaking bad the walking dead sons of anarchy there are certain shows mad men that were so esoteric to their show there was nothing like sons before right it doesn't guarantee success but there's nothing like it it's not a copycat of anything there's all these shows that try and copycat a bunch of other shows and they just don't they don't they don't work or they don't work as well right so i think we were lucky in, in many respects and fx gave it a carte blanche on spend the money and kurt this is your show john langraff who's my favorite executive in hollywood bar none um had a belief in kurt and boy did that work out for fx it was the biggest show they've ever had wow so obviously with mayan's mc there's a lot of speculation about what's next in the sam crow universe what would you like to see what story has been left unresolved for you that you would like to see either in a series or a feature length I don't, I don't have anything to answer to that other than I trust Langraf and Sutter to go. I, I know it, there was a lot that he could have done. Mm-hmm. You could have continued with Chibs and Tig. You could have done a prequel. You could have done eight years later. Right. You could have done the first nine. There's so many, but they didn't want any of that right now. And it took them three years to figure out it was a Mayan spinoff. Mm-hmm. Let's go Latino. Let's go Mayan spinoff. So I wish them nothing but love and respect and good luck because I know that that world of bikerdom after Sons is going to be a tough thing to duplicate. Yeah. That doesn't mean it can't be a success and it can be very unique to their own world. And I think that's what they're trying to do with the Mayans. I don't watch my own stuff. I don't watch anything. I'm too busy. I want to be as good looking as you when I grow up, Nick. So I got <laughs> I no, that about yeah, you. I have no time. But I, I have nothing but positive vibes on my behalf to talk about it whenever people ask me, are you going to be in the Mayans, Kim? I go, no, I don't think so. No, I, we've all moved on. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean we'll ever forget Sons of Anarchy. And I just hope it's a, it's a big hit for them. Very cool. So what are you working on right now that's particularly exciting for you? I've got uh, two, two big things. I, I mentioned Bad Blood. Yep. Uh, it's on City TV, Rogers up in Canada. It's unbelievable. Just wrapped the second season. Um, it's going to premiere up in Canada October the 11th. Uh, Bad Blood, uh, all my millions of fans around the world. When are we going to see it? It's coming <laughs> mid-November. I can't announce specifically, but it's coming mid-November uh, or end of November. All around the world, people are going to be blown away by that. So I'm doing that. I'm about to start to uh, festival out an incredible movie I did with Bill Fickner, my best friend, who wrote and co-wrote with Kane DeVore, and he directed and starred, and I produced this incredible little passion project that he's been brewing on for 10 years called Cole Brook. It's opening wow. 
at the Woodstock Film Festival, the Napa Film Festival over the months of October and early November. So a lot of press, a lot of red carpets for that. We're so proud of this film. It's unbelievably uh, so good. Uh, and the most exciting thing for me is I've been, as you know, so swamped with Jerusalem and Bad Blood 2 mm -hmm. and Cold Brooks Press coming up. That and my whole American agents and managers are so excited for me to be back. I'm back now in America to uh, find that next show for me, to continue doing my movies, to continue to produce. I will direct eventually. Uh, it's just really nice to be home. I haven't been home in seven months. Wow, really cool. Yeah. As far as directing, is there any idea in the types of projects that you want to get behind? Not yet, but I will say Billy Fickner, right, who directed for the first time uh, it was his passion project. He co-wrote it. Um, he found the DP he needed. I helped raise the money, if not all of it, certainly most of it. Happily, he and I star in it. Um, I, it's going to be a movie. It won't be TV. TV, Nick, you know this. Directors on TV, it, it's one of the hardest jobs you can get. It's like that. Got to go. Got to go. Right. Got to go. You have producers. You have Warner Brothers. You have FX. You have people. Hang on. You got to get the... It's it's too much. That's why the best directors, not that they're not doing films, but the best directors are in television because it is no fucking around. You've got to know your stuff. But if it's a movie and it's an independent film, maybe I star in it. Maybe I don't. Maybe my daughter does. Maybe, you, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. there's things that I can control. And if you surround yourself, Ridley Scott said this to me when we did Black Hawk Down together. We had some beautiful, beautiful conversations, he and I. And I really believe this about Ridley. He said to me that he, the one thing he is proud of is he surrounds himself with the best people. He lets the DP be the DP. Mm. He lets the props guy on Black Hawk Down, they're in charge of the M16s. Mm -hmm. All those weaponry, I, I look up to you. The set design, yeah, that's that's your baby. Now, does Ridley have his hands in the pie? Of course he does. But he lets their people, his people, do their work. Right. He's not such a megalomaniac to control. No, no, he lets them do that. And if you let people do their job, not only do they want to, they have an opportunity to excel. And so a film allows you to do that without a lot of interference from above and time constraints. So it's definitely going to be a movie. Very cool. Few uh, really quick rapid fire questions. Yeah, we got to get back to the fans here. <laughs> um, are there any? Obviously, when it comes to acting, when it comes to Hollywood and all of that, there's so many books and resources out there. A lot of which is bullshit. Are there any either books or courses or resources or mostly books that helped you along your way that either helped you with acting or your career in any way that you would you would I, attribute your success to? I gotta tell you, that's. So, such a great question because it, it's so long ago that I was in college. I took an acting class because I knew I could pass it. I took an acting class because I could meet girls. I took an acting class because I'd never done it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't even know what a soliloquy was. Do you understand? So for me, reading is key. Everything, Uta Hagen, I mean, uh, these incredible acting books. I mean, I've read all of the Brando biographies, all three of them. I've, I've taken so many acting classes. I know what a soliloquy is now, obviously. I've done so much Shakespeare. I, I read Ian Esco. I mean, Tennessee Williams is my favorite playwright. I read his biography. I mean, reading, pure reading, poetry, anything, plays, 
you, you, you have to do that because you will then start to suck it in and, and feel it. And some of the greatest novelists, some of the greatest acting teachers are because they've read so much, because you can learn from other people and what they say. So, you know, it's all out there. Mm-hmm. And just seriously, don't be afraid of reading. Don't be afraid of taking classes. Don't be afraid of taking improv because mm-hmm. it's all out there for the young actor and immerse yourself in as much as you can. Cool. Last question, possibly most importantly. Sure. Do Walt Goggins' breasts feel as nice as they look? Yes. That's what I thought. Kim Coates, what an honor. Thank you. Pleasure, man. And we're back again. All right. Pretty fun interview, right? So let's go over the key takeaways from Kim Coates for aspiring actors. So first and foremost, there's nothing wrong with being a big fish in a small pond. Instead of trying his luck in these majorly competitive cities like LA and New York, Kim started out his acting career with regional theater. And because of that, he was able to consistently get big roles, which gave him the opportunity to hone his acting skills. With regional theater, He had a steady stream of lead roles for years and plays all over the U.S. and Canada because it was less competitive. And eventually, big agents began to take notice because he wasn't having little bit parts in plays. He was having a lead. And whenever agents would go to regional theaters, he would just completely dominate them because, again, he was not trying out in these majorly competitive areas. He was doing regional theater. And he was able to get leads and he was able to get seen and eventually... Agents began to take note, and he found his way to Hollywood. The fishing is always best where the fewest go. The opportunities to develop as an actor are bigger and better in less competitive areas. So explore regional theaters if you're an actor. Look for opportunities to shine that will let you hone your craft with roles that are more demanding and offer better visibility. Kim also stresses that this is all a very gradual process and that actors should not be in a rush. So if you're an actor, take the time it takes to become great. Uncover those hidden opportunities and eventually the right people will begin to take notice. Number two, read everything. Kim is a prolific reader and discusses the responsibility that actors have to know as much as they can about acting, art, and humanity so that they can bring all of that knowledge to their roles and to their careers. So immerse yourself in poetry, plays, art, and literature because it allows you to internalize drama, nuance, and storytelling, all of which tremendously serves your acting. Kim specifically recommended the works of Uta Hagen, Ionesco, Tennessee Williams, and the Marlon Brando biographies. Number three, possibly most importantly, acting is listening. Kim mentioned how often the term method acting is tossed around and how so few people really understand what it means. To Kim, the real key to acting is being present in the moment, on screen or on stage, and constantly reacting to everything as the scene unfolds in real time, as opposed to memorizing every single last beat and nuance of your performance. He stresses the importance of reacting, not having some robotic way that you perform that is identical every single time, but serving the moment by being present in real time and reacting. He then went on to say, the camera picks up everything. 
There's no acting allowed. He then went on to quote Francis Ford Coppola, who said, learn the lines so well that you can forget them. All of this indicates the importance of internalizing your lines beyond memorization to the point where you can deliver a performance while being truly present in the scene. Anyway, guys, really, really hope that you get a lot out of this interview with Kim Coates, particularly if you're an actor. And if you found this helpful, it would mean the world to me if you could share it with your friends and family on social media. Don't forget to follow the show on the Instagrams at I am Nick Taylor. That's I am Nick Taylor. Same handle on Twitter. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks a lot, guys.